part 12. For your notes, we're going to talk about press forward. Press forward. It is easy for us to press forward in life when everything's going great. It's easy to hear a sermon about looking for the new things God has for you and be excited about your future whenever you have no problems and relationships are fine and money's not an issue. But where are the people that know how to press forward when they've gone through a major disappointment in life? Where are the people that know how to step up and give God 100% even though negative things are happening to you? Where are the people that can press forward through a sin that they promised God a hundred times they won't ever do again and then they do it again? Where are those people? You know, if we're if we're not pressing forward in life, we're going to get stuck at a certain place and we will actually die in that area of our life wherever we get stuck at. We'll stay there until the time we leave earth and go to heaven. We got to press forward. Whenever you leave church this morning, you'll notice there's a little rearview mirror in your car. And a giant windshield in front of you. The reason the rearview mirror is so small and the windshield is so big is because what has happened behind you is not nearly as important as what is happening in front of you. And if you're always looking back in life, two things will happen. Number one, you will wreck. And number two, and ask my wife that, she'll tell you. And number two is, number two is you won't experience the new things that God has in store. In fact, Life will pass you by and you will miss out on so many opportunities, so many days that you could have enjoyed your life and enjoyed your children and enjoyed what God is doing and was doing in your life. It says in Philippians 3.13, Paul said, I focus all my energy on this one thing. Now, this was a wise man. And he said, all of my energy is focused on this, to forget what lies in the past and to press forward to what lies ahead. When the sun came up this morning, you should have already let go of every disappointment that took place in the day before. By the time you got to church this morning, if somebody offended you or hurt you 20 minutes earlier or 20 years earlier, you should have already let it go. If you don't, it will affect your heart. It will affect your decisions, your choices in life. It'll affect the new things God has in store. We have to press forward in life or we're going to miss out on great opportunities. So I have three points for you today on how to press forward and the areas to press forward. And so for your notes, number one, write this down. We have to press forward through the hurts in life. We have all experienced hurts. We've all been wounded in life. We've gone through injuries in life. Somebody lied about you, uh, gossiped about you. Someone walked out on you. You spent a lot of time investing into a person or a relationship and they turned their back on you. When this happens, you only have two choices, only two choices. First, you can let it contaminate your heart. You can build this wall around your heart, and now you don't really trust people anymore. You're no longer stepping out in faith. You're not joining a church and giving God your all because you're battling this wound that God wants to heal. You talk about it, you dwell on it. If that name comes up, you feel those feelings all over again and it contaminates your life. That's option one. Option two is this, you forgive and you let it go. There's no way to get around the hurts in life. It will happen. People will do you wrong. You know why? They're human. And guess what? You're human too. There are people you offended and hurt and probably don't even know about it. Do you want them to hold on to it or do you want them to let it go? Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty five, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. The Amplified says, drop it like it's hot. Leave it. 
let it go so that your father in heaven will forgive you. I think as Christians, we're good at dropping it and letting it go. But our problem is we don't know how to leave it there. I know people that pick up the same thing they dropped the next day. They drop it on Sunday. They pick it back up on Monday. They hear a message or they feel a little bit of conviction. So they drop it on Monday night and they pick it back up on Tuesday afternoon. They pick it up so many times it has become a part of them. And now we kind of know this is the person that's heard about what their ex-spouse did 26 years ago. This is the person that got, you know, someone did, they got fired from that job that they were at for 30 years. We know because you carry it around with you everywhere that you go. You know, we um, flew to D.C. last weekend and the flights are super cheap. But the way they get you is if you have any baggage to bring. If you carry even one bag, it costs as much as the flight does. You know, I thought about not even buying my wife's flight and put her in a baggage, you know, and try to do like that. But anyway, um, but here's the thing. Same thing's true in life. You can carry that bag of unforgiveness with you, but it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you healing. You can carry around that bag of bitterness, but it's going to cost you a good night's sleep, peace. You can carry around that bag of anger, vengeance, but it's going to cost you the restoration that God has in store for you. It's not free. You can't carry around something and it not cost you something. You have to learn how to give it to God. How do you give it to God? Stop talking about it. Stop dwelling on it, thinking about it. When that person's name comes up, say, God bless them and help my heart heal. Do here's how, you, here's how you heal. You worship God even when you don't feel like it. You give even when you're hurting. You do whatever God's calling you to do regardless of how you feel. Um, in the Old Testament, there was a man named Ahithophel. And I've read all through the Bible and I've studied world history and I've, U.S. history. I've never, ever, ever come across a statement about a person as the way the Bible describes Ahithophel. It says in 2 Samuel 16, 23, that the advice of Ahithophel was as if it came from the oracle of God. As if the vocal box of God spoke when he spoke. Now I want you to imagine, this, this anointing was so strong. Imagine whatever area you serve God in. You're an usher, a greeter, a singer, a guitar player, teacher, children's church teacher, whatever you do. Imagine that the whole world said this about you. Man, whenever they usher me to my seat, it's as if God himself ushered me. Whenever they teach my kid in children's church, it's as if God himself was teaching my kids. Whenever they played the, that guitar, it's as if God himself was playing the guitar. That's how anointed a hit the fell was. But somebody hurt his granddaughter, did her a terrible misjustice, and he was so upset he couldn't let it go. I mean, day after day after day, it bothered him so bad. When that person's name came up, he was saying negative things about him. And then he started to develop a coup against this person. And he talked about him on Facebook. And whenever he found somebody in the supermarket, and they said, how's your day? My day's good. But let me tell you what happened to my granddaughter three months ago. On and on it went. It got so bad, it infected his heart. Do you know that unforgiveness affects the anointing in your life? We say every Sunday we're anointed, but I can tell you, if your heart's filled with pains and hurts that you should give to God, it's going to lower your anointing. The anointing is the empowerment to prosper through Jesus Christ, and you need the anointing. You need it. It got so bad in 2 Samuel 17, verse 7, it says, now the advice of Ahithophel is no longer good. Not because of some horrible sin. He didn't go, you know, destroy some murder or rape or anything like that. He simply had unforgiveness in his heart. 
It contaminated his heart. It affected his choices. It affected him hearing from God. It affected him talking about God. It affected his ministry. I can tell you there's one thing that I always make sure I do on Sunday morning. I make sure my heart's right before I get up here and speak. Because sometimes it's not. Sometimes I got stuff in there that doesn't need to be in there. And I'm so worried that I'm going to get up here and speak and not be anointed. So I got to make sure my heart is right. Doesn't the Bible even say before you even worship, get your heart right with your brother? Work out what you got to work out. So his vice was no longer good. And he was so upset by this. So discouraged by losing his anointing in verse 23, when Ahithophel saw his advice was no longer good, he hanged himself. Do you know what this bag of vengeance cost Ahithophel? It cost him his destiny. A bag of unforgiveness affected his entire life. Um, I watched this clip of a football game from the 80s or something. It was when I think Dan Marino was playing or something like that. And in the first quarter of the football game, this huge offensive lineman, he in one play, he broke his hand, he broke a rib, and he messed up his shoulders. And so the trainers, you know, told him to sit out, and they bring him on the sidelines, and they bandaged up his arm. They put this special vest around him, his chest to protect his, his ribs so he could at least watch the game. And, uh, and they did some stuff to his shoulder. He looked like a mummy. And he was not expected to play uh, for a while, but especially in the game. Towards the last quarter of the football game, he tells the coach he wants to get back in the game. And he gets back in the game looking like a mummy. And afterwards, the reporters went to him and said, we can't believe you played the game after. You know, you were, you're, you're bandaged up, you're hurt, you're wounded. You've gone through all this pain. And here's what he said to the reporter. I'm in pain, but I would rather play in the game in pain than sit on the sidelines and watch. I know too many Christians that are sitting on the sidelines because of the pain they've experienced watching everybody else play in the game of life. Don't allow the hurts of life to keep you on the sidelines of life. You're watching other people worship and give and serve and lead and build the kingdom of God. And they're collecting all these eternal rewards up in heaven. And because of what you've gone through, you just sit back and watch everybody else. Heard about this lady that, man, she got divorced when she was young. And she spent over a decade so bitter with her ex-husband. Just so upset. She ended up dying one day. And because of the grace of God, she you know, made it to heaven even though she had all these problems and did not fulfill her destiny on earth. Well, she gets to the pearly gates and St. Peter says, you can't come in yet. You first have to correctly spell a word. She said, well, what word? He said, love. She said, okay, L-O-V-E. He said, you made it. You're in heaven. Now, your first job is to serve in my position while I go run some errands. And if anyone dies, you just do the same procedure with them. She said, okay, fate would have it. Her ex-husband just died on earth. So he runs up and he says, did I make it into heaven? She says, no, not yet. You did. You have to first correctly spell a word. He said, well, what word? She smiled and said, Czechoslovakia. <laughs> That's not how you deal with hurts in life. You got to let it go before you die. Okay, let it go before you die. Okay, point number two is this. We have to press forward through disappointments. We've all experienced disappointments. This is when someone else's free will does something that just completely turns your life upside down. In the Bible, whenever someone went through a tragedy or a discouraging time in life, they would take ashes and they would put it on their forehead. It signified that they were going through a time of mourning and of pain. God was okay with this. He taught them to express themselves this way. 
So if you saw somebody with their head down or maybe they stayed indoors for a few weeks or whatever, and when you finally saw them, you saw the ashes, you realized, oh, they went through a major disappointment in life. Something bad happened to them. The problem was, though, is some people would choose to mourn long past the period that God allotted for them to mourn. After 30 days or seven days, depending on what happened in their life, God would say, remove the ashes and go forward. Some people didn't want to do that. Some people wanted to remain with the ashes on their forehead. So God told them in Isaiah 61, verse 3, I want to give you beauty for your ashes. I want to give you oil of joy for your mourning. I want to give you praise for your broken hearts. Here's what you need to understand by this. An exchange has to occur. You cannot have beauty and ashes. You can't have oil of joy and still be mourning. It's okay to mourn, but there's something wrong with excessive mourning. You can't have the praise that God wants to give you and you hold on to the broken heart. An exchange has to occur. You have to give up the ashes if you're going to see the, God, the beauty that God has in your life. When Job went through his difficult time in Job 2.8, it says he sat down among the ashes. He thought, oh, God, it's just too difficult. I've gone through too much. This tells me that God will never force you to give up your ashes. He will never force you to give him your broken heart. In fact, you can choose, like a lot of Christians, to sit on the sidelines of life and just plant yourself right there among the ashes. Let me ask you, if you were giving someone else advice, because anytime there's a pastor, one of my mentors, and I send him a question, he always says this to me, what would you tell another pastor? And so if someone comes to you and they, they've committed this horrible sin, or they've gone through a major disappointment, or you know they've been hurt really bad, whatever the case is, um, and they said, what do I do about them, sir? Would you say, you should just hold under the ashes a little bit longer. Stay on the sidelines. Just sit back in church and watch everybody else play in the game. And sooner or later, I'm sure something good will happen to you. Or would you say, you need to give God the ashes so you can get the beauty. Let me think. Do I want, hmm, something that's left over from life and fire and warmth? The, 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 what's left when everything's done and burned out? Do I want ashes? Or do I want beauty from God? Let me think which one I'll choose. And it's easier said than done, I can tell you that. Uh, for the past six and a half months, I have exerted so much energy in trying to purchase the house that we live in. Uh, we've been there for five, six years, and we, we, we renovated the whole thing the way we wanted over the years. And, you know, pergola, hardwood floors, fruit trees, concrete, everything we want. And the guy that owns it wants to sell it. He wants to sell it now. And so for six and a half months, I've been trying to get a loan and do all the things that you got to do. And I finally found a lender that they said, oh, of course you can, you know, do it. And they started and said, oh, you don't make enough money. And so the elders are always begging me, begging me to get a raise, begging me. So I said, I'll, I'll just do it just so I can get the house. And I said, well, I got the raise or I received the raise. And so six and a half months, we're trying. I mean, we're doing everything. Now listen, I've never missed a house payment in 21 years. I have never, I have great credit, you know, everything's fine there. I never, and if we get this loan at 2.75 interest, is what they told me I can have it for, our payments would actually be less than what we're paying now. And we've never missed a payment, right? My first day of vacation in Washington, the very first night, we are having fun and we're on scooters doing our thing, and I get a phone call from the mortgage company, and they said, you've been denied, you're not going to be able to buy the house. I wanted to throw up. 
And so I look at my wife and she can just tell my countenance is just, you know, she said, what, what, what is it? What is it? I said, we can't get the house. I've spent six and a half months and we can do it. She said, oh, okay, it's okay. Let's go. And she's doing her scooter. I said, it's not okay. It's not okay. I want somebody to, 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 to empathize. I want somebody to be discouraged with me. I want everybody to know how bad a pain I'm in. I'm disappointed. You know, you better show me some disappointment I'm putting on Facebook. You want everybody to hear this on, you know. So I text Jason because he's, you know, kind of helping. He's the man when it comes to that kind of thing. And I wanted him to be disappointed with me. Somebody be disappointed with me. And he texts me and he said, John Paul, there's absolutely nothing you can do about it right now. Why not enjoy your vacation with your wife? And I think about in life when we go through disappointments, sometimes there's nothing we can do about it. Why not enjoy the life that God has blessed you with? And I thought, you know what? I, I have integrity with the house. It's always clean, always paid for. Everything's done right. So if I'm doing everything right in that area, everything God wants me to do, I'm obeying that area, then whatever happens is going to happen. And nothing I can do about it sometimes. We can't do anything about yesterday, but we can do something about today. Can't do anything about yesterday, we can do something about today. You say, well, I'm, I'm too discouraged to give up those ashes, okay? That's fine, but that's a very heavy price to pay when God has beauty waiting on you. Um, in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel started off as a theocracy, a theocratic government. In other words, to modernize it for you, the preachers were in charge. It was like one giant church of two million people and preachers, elders, leaders, and that kind of thing. Well, at one point, Israel said, we want a king. All these other nations, they, they, they have a king. We want a king. So God, in his great mercy, said, okay, I'll give you a king. And so he let one of the pastors or the prophet Samuel choose Saul to be the first king of Israel. Saul started off as a shy, young, humble man. The Bible even says he was a handsome man. And so Samuel takes him under his wing, and Samuel trains him every day. He spends time taking him out to lunch and encouraging him. He sends him a Bible scripture on the cell phone every morning. He calls him every night. He sends him emails of how he can grow and all these great things. And he helps Saul to become successful and strong and anointed. And Saul's doing a great job. And Samuel's so pleased with him. Samuel trained him and, and, and Samuel treated him like a son. And then Saul got more and more powerful to the point where he started getting prideful. And it seemed like no matter what God did or Samuel did, Saul would not get rid of his pride and humble himself. So eventually God had to remove the throne away from Saul. Imagine the embarrassment that Samuel felt. Everybody knew that Samuel was the one that chose him. Everybody knew that Samuel treated him like a son. Everybody knew that Samuel trained him. And was with him day in and day out. Imagine the broken heart that Samuel felt. Years he poured into this relationship. And it started great. And they served God together. And things were awesome. And then Saul decided to just do things differently. Imagine the pain that Samuel's feeling watching this man, watching, his, watching this person who he's poured into turn his back on God. Samuel was so upset and God came to him in 1 Samuel 16 and said, Samuel, how long will you mourn? One translation says, mope over Saul. In other words, it's okay to mourn, but there's some excessive mourning going on here. 
Fill your horn with oil. I am sending you to the house of Jesse. I have chosen one of his sons to be the next king. Here's what God was saying. Give me the ashes and I'll give you some beauty. Give me the ashes. I got something new for you. Now it's very important you see the word oil there. Does everybody see that? Say yes or no. Yes. Okay, good. That represents the Holy Spirit. Listen real close. Here's what it's saying. Fill yourself with the Holy Spirit. Fill yourself with God's word. Get in church, serve, read your Bible, study it, because that's going to direct you to the new that I have for you. But if you don't fill yourself up with the Holy Spirit, you're going to go from one Saul to another Saul. Do you know how many people go from one disappointment to another disappointment? And sometimes it's not their fault, and sometimes it is, because they're not being led by the Spirit. They're being led by their emotions. They lose out on a saw, so their feelings take them to this other person or this other job or this other relationship or this other whatever it is. And the same thing, if not worse, happens because they didn't fill their horn with oil before they went. you got to let the Holy Spirit lead you and guide you. And if it does, I promise you, Samuel could say, I don't know if I feel like it. I'm just too discouraged, too upset. Okay, Samuel, you can stay there, but you're going to miss out on the greatest king to ever reign over Israel. Samuel filled his horn with oil, and guess where he went when he got to the house of Jesse? Guess who he found? He found David, the greatest king of Israel. Imagine what would have happened if Samuel did not fill his horn with oil, get up, and press forward to the new. You know, sometimes in life, we can't figure out why disappointments occur. They just occur. Sometimes it's just a part of life. In um, 1881... Uh, James Garfield was elected the 20th president of the United States of America. Six months after he was elected, he got shot in the back. When the doctors pulled him in, you know, they bandaged his wounds up and took care of him. And he began to heal and recover very nicely. He was doing great. He was able to lead the country. Everything was fine. But back then, the doctors thought if they didn't find the bullet and get rid of it, that like in the middle of the night, he's going to you know, die one night. So they decided to open him up, and they probed around in there trying to find the bullet to no avail. They tried again. Maybe it's over here in this part of the body. Looked, couldn't find it. They even called Alexander Graham Bell, and they asked him to invent an electrical device to help them locate the bullet. He invented it. But it was unsuccessful. They couldn't find the bullets. They probed around again. Do you know two months later, President Garfield died? Not from the bullet wound, but from all the probing around. Sometimes when it comes to our disappointments, it's better to leave some things alone. If you're always probing around your hurts, your wounds, your failures, it may prevent you from getting well in life. Um... One more little thing before we go to point number three. I have a friend who lives in heaven named John Ross. John Ross is Trisha's, uh, our administrative pastor's husband, um, and he went to heaven a few years ago. But when he was here on earth, for eight years, he battled cancers, and different types of cancer, and different sicknesses and illnesses. He was in and out of hospitals all the time, chemo here, this treatment here. One time, I mean, he was in a coma at one point, and everyone just knew he was, you know, this is it, he's done. He wakes up the next day, and everything's fine. You know, one thing after that, losing his hair, losing weight, gaining hair, gaining, I'm just gaining, uh, just one thing after another. The whole time, he's in this pain. The whole time, he's going through all these horrible procedures in life. Every Sunday that he was not in the hospital, he was in church. He was in so much pain, he was on morphine 24-7, but he was in the choir, lifting his hands, singing as off-key as anybody on morphine could. 
He would be in a coma one week, and the next week he'd be up on a ladder spraying for wasps on the side of the building. He would be told you got a death sentence from some of the wisest doctors around, and the next Sunday he's in church taking notes. Imagine the disappointment when your physical body is dying, when it's wearing down on you, when you're going through all kinds of problems and issues and medications, yet you're in church excited. You're part of a short group. You're leading a Bible study. What if you die next week? Well, then I'm, I'm going to lead it this week. I'll, I'll have somebody cover for me next week. Don't worry. That was his attitude. I would love, I can't wait for some of y'all to meet John Ross in heaven. And I want him to hear your excuse for why you choose to sit on the sidelines of life. Listen, nothing should stop you from playing in the game. John Ross's attitude was, yes, I'm in pain. But I'd rather play in the game in pain than watch life pass me by. Press forward through the disappointments. Number three is this. You've got to press forward through the mistakes in life. Oh, do we make some mistakes. You did something you know you shouldn't have done. You said, God, I promise if you'll forgive me this time, I'll never do it again. Two and a half weeks later, what happens? You do it worse than you did the time before. You add a little bit more to it. Let me show you the way God views um, our sin or our mistakes when it comes to in front of us, behind us, time-wise, okay? It says in Isaiah 43, 25, God said, I will not remember your sins. Hebrews 8, 12 says, I will remember their sins no more. Um, I want to teach you something theologically speaking. There are some pastors that preach that God uh, forgets your sin uh, once you repent or once you ask forgiveness. That's not theologically possible. God cannot forget anything. If God forgot something, then he would be no longer omniscient, which means all-knowing. He is all-knowing, so he knows everything. If God somehow forgot my sin, then he would have forgotten 99% of my life on earth. Because at some point, all, I'm either having a wrong motive, a wrong thought, a wrong word, a wrong action, should have said this, should have done that. Why didn't I treat them this way? I didn't smile enough. My countenance wasn't right. There's always sin going on, right? But this is how God looks at it. Here's my, here's my, but here's how God does it. Um, he doesn't forget it. But if you see the word will in those two scriptures, it is an act of will. It's a decision, a choice. In other words, he doesn't forget it, but he has chosen to never, ever, ever remember it or bring it to remembrance. He cannot talk about it. He cannot bring it up. Now, stop remembering things that God has chosen to never bring up. Do you know who likes to bring up your sin? Satan and people. And sometimes they work together. In fact, even in marriages, sometimes we, you know, love to remember what the other one did, you know, 12 years ago kind of thing. Zephaniah 3.16 says, I will, here's another, here's another declaration of his desire, I will make no mention of past sins or even recall them. Even recall. So let me give you an analogy to help you understand how God views your sin, okay? Um, men and women, we have different memories. If you ask a man... What did you have for lunch yesterday? The man knows what he had for lunch, but for the life of him, he cannot bring it to his memory. He cannot tell you. 
I mean, if you say, what, what did you wear? What were you wearing, you know, last Thursday when you went to work? If you, I mean, like, he, he knows what he was wearing. He knows he had on clothes, but he just can't for the life of him remember how they got on his body or which one he chose. He doesn't know. If you ask a woman, what did your husband say about the new shoes that you bought on Mother's Day, 1974? The woman will say, well, it was 72 degrees in the room. Um, it was raining that day, but the sun came out later on. Uh, the kids were over in the playroom playing. One of them was eating marshmallows. And, uh, you know, you, honey, you were wearing that black shirt your mother gave you that you should never wear. I didn't like it in the first place. I know you wouldn't get rid of it, even though I asked you to get rid of it. You always do what your mother says to do. Uh, you, had on a, you were wearing a thick mustache. It was the 70s. I remember that specifically. And I walked in that room with my new shoes on, and you said, oh, they're okay. And you did your shoulders like this whenever you said it. I remember it just like it were yesterday. Male and female both came from God. The female part of God knows everything. But the male part of God just can't remember the sins. <laughs> just can't remember them. And so that's how I need you to view this. Okay, here's why God knows all of your sin, but can never bring it up in your life. Isaiah 53, 6. Because he laid all of your sin on Jesus instead of you. John 1, 29. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You know, in the Old Testament, whenever someone sinned, they have to find the best lamb that they own, spend money, all this time and energy, take it to the priest, and it'd be sacrificed to pay for their sin. The priest never looked at the sinner. The priest only examined the sacrifice. When God looks at you, he does not see your sin. He sees the blood of his son. It was the perfect sacrifice to take away all your sin. There was this man who had a dream, and um, it was a preacher. And in his dream, he walked into this huge room like a library. And from the floor to the ceiling, it was just file cabinet after file cabinet after file cabinet. And he was just, he was there by himself, so he thought, I, I think I'll look in one of them. So he opened one up, and it was full of index cards. There had to be a million index cards in the room. He pulled an index card out, and lo and behold, it had his name on it with a sin that he committed in second grade when he called another kid a bad name. He kind of laughed and thought, man, I can't believe that that's in here. And he puts it back in, he pulls out another index card, and this one had his name on it. And a sin he committed in high school when he stole $5 from somebody. He thought, ugh, I don't know about, you know, I've forgotten all about that. He put that back in there, pulled out another one. And this next one had his name, and it had one of his deepest, darkest, secret sins on the card. He was so embarrassed. He began to pull out index card after index card, and every index card in the room had his name on it with a sin that he had committed at some time in his life. He was so ashamed. His first thought was, I have to destroy this room ASAP. So he pulled out a card and tried to rip it, but it would not tear. So he tried to ball it up, but it would not crumble. There was no destroying the cards. About that time, Jesus comes walking in the room. He said in this dream he felt this unconditional love, but his next thought was, if there was anybody who I would not want to be in this room, it would be Jesus Christ. So he said, Jesus, come on, let's leave, let's get out of here. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. And Jesus started to walk over to one of the file cabinets. He opened it up and the man said, oh, Jesus, please, please, please don't do this. 
Jesus pulled out a card, a time when the man had a lustful thought. Jesus crossed out the man's name and he signed his own name, Jesus, with the phrase, paid in full. He put it back in, he took out another card, a time where the man was unfaithful. He crossed out the man's name and put his own name, Jesus, paid in full. One after one, at the speed of light, within a few seconds, every single card in the room had the man's name crossed out with the name Jesus paid in full. The man started to cry and said, Jesus, you don't have to do this. Understand, this is not your room. It doesn't belong to you. These are my sins. I did this. I acted that way. I thought that. I said that. That was my action, not yours. Jesus just smiled and said, it's already been paid in full. Here's my question for you. If it's already been paid, why are you trying to pay for it by sitting on the sidelines of life? It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he made Christ who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we would become the righteousness of God made acceptable to him and placed in right relationship with him by his grace. In other words, God can't punish you because he already punished Jesus. God can't be angry with you. He was already angry with Jesus. God can't turn his face away from you. Not even for a second. God can't forsake you. Do you know why? He forsook Jesus for you. You know why you will never die? Your body may deteriorate, but you, your spirit will never die. You know why? Because Jesus already died for you. Um, I'll close with this. It's something that really makes me feel uh, good. I think about it on a regular basis. But in the Old Testament, they would refer to God as being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's a generational God. All through the Bible, they're saying, oh, we, we pray to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Oh, I serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay. I can see why he's the God of Abraham, right? He stepped out in faith, had the first covenant. You know, I mean, this is a great man of God. I can see why he's the God of Isaac. Isaac was extremely obedient. But to be the God of Jacob, that, that, that messes with me because Jacob was a liar, a cheater, a thief, a schemer, a swindler, and a deceiver. This is how he lived his life. But if you know the story, one day Jacob goes down by the brook and he wrestles with Jesus, you know, the angel of God, and he gets blessed. He repents. He repents. Says, God, I guess it was my fault all this time. You know, it's not it's all me. So God changes his name from Jacob to Israel. Every Jew, you know, has come out of Jacob, the nation of Israel, Israel. You would think after he repented and God gave him this new beginning and the future's going to be great and just press forward to being Israel. You would think now God would be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. But God continued to let people call him the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was so that it would forever be recorded in history that God is not just the God of people who do the right thing. 
He's the God of people who have done the wrong thing, who have a rough past, who've made tons of mistakes. He is still your God. Now, for heaven's sakes, get up off your butts, get in the game, in pain, and serve, give, worship, be who God's called you to be. Leave the past behind. Isaiah 43, 18, don't cling to the events of the past. Forget what happened long ago and watch for the new thing that I am about to do. If you will fill your horn with oil and let the Holy Spirit lead you, if you'll drop it like it's hot, leave it and let it go, I promise you'll experience the beauty that God has for you. Amen. Amen. And that is the conclusion of our series on test trials and tribulations.